the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There's a ring of truth that is unmistakable Knowing that you cannot find alone And if you listen carefully And sometimes even if you don't You can hear that sound Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth with our pastor and teacher, Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches through God's Word. The book of Jeremiah is the longest book in the Bible, longest by words, which tells us two things. It shows the long-suffering of God, that the longest book in the Bible is Him pleading with His people to come back to Him. So it shows us the long-suffering of God, but it also shows us the stubbornness of His people hardness of their hearts. God's grace to his people is an incredible thing, and he openly blesses anyone who turns from their sin to live for him. However, as you will see with Pastor Dan today, the people of Judah in Jeremiah's time still chose to sin and worship other gods. God still showed his mercy and his willingness to forgive them, and that mercy is still offered to you today. No matter how far you may have strayed from God, He will forgive you and bless you again if you turn back to Him and leave your life of sin. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Jeremiah chapter 4 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Jeremiah chapter 4. So we are continuing our study through the prophet Jeremiah. Well, uh, Jeremiah the prophet, uh, remember... He is preaching to the kingdom of Judah just before they are conquered by the Babylonians and carried away into captivity. So he's preaching to the last generation in Judah. Uh, He witnesses the death of the kingdom, the death of the nation, uh, and the carrying away into captivity. Uh, In chapter 3 last week, um, the Lord appealed to, Through the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord appealed to the people of Judah to return to him and to come home to him, to come back to him. And we really saw the Lord's heart in chapter 3. Again, the Bible says that God is not willing that anyone would perish in their sins, but that all would come to repentance and salvation through Jesus Christ. And we see in the book of Jeremiah where God is just extending this invitation over and over and over to his people, asking them to come back and pleading with backsliding Judah to return to him. If you look back in chapter 3 at verse 22, uh, the Lord says, Return, you backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. Just return to me, the Lord says. And if backsliding Judah would return, he would heal all of their backslidings. He would heal them of their rebellion if they just come back to him. Now, if 
Judah would have come back to the Lord here in chapter 3, then the book of Jeremiah would have ended with chapter 3. But the book of Jeremiah, listen, the book of Jeremiah is the longest book in the Bible. Longest by words. Which tells us two things. It shows the long-suffering of God, that the longest book in the Bible is him pleading with his people to come back to him. So it shows us the long-suffering of God, but it also shows us the stubbornness of his people, the hardness of their hearts. They refuse to repent. Remember, Jeremiah, he preaches for over 40 years, and there's not one person who turns back to the Lord as a result of Jeremiah's preaching. And so now in chapter 4, the Lord continues to appeal to Judah to return to him. Again, he's long-suffering with us. He gives us every possible opportunity to turn back to him and be reconciled with him. And in chapter 4, in the first few verses of chapter 4, God calls Judah to genuine repentance. Genuine repentance. Genuine repentance requires a few things for it to be genuine. Uh, First of all, if you're taking notes, it requires an admission of sin. An admission of sin. If you turn back in chapter 3 to verse 13, there the Lord says, Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord. This is the only thing that God asked of them, to just acknowledge their iniquity, to confess their sins. And we talked about this last week, to confess, as the way it's used in the Bible, the word means to say the same thing, literally. To say the same thing as God about your actions. To acknowledge that what you did is wrong in God's eyes, and it's sin. You know, without making any kind of excuses for it, or justification, or blaming other people, uh, genuine repentance involves an admission of sin, an an acknowledgement of your sin. Uh, It also requires a sorrow, a sorrow for sin, a sorrow for sin. David, in the Psalms, in Psalm 51, uh, verse 17, David wrote this Psalm, Psalm 51, we're told in the title, uh, that he wrote this after Nathan the prophet confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba. And David writes in Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. When we repent, we should have a brokenness about our sin. There should be sorrow. Uh, There should be remorse. We should have a contrite heart. You know, that's what the Lord's looking for. When we repent, he's looking for an admission, an acknowledgement, and he's also looking for a sorrow over our sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says, Godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. And there in 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul contrasts godly sorrow with worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is just regret that you got caught. Worldly sorrow is regret over the consequences of your sin. But worldly sorrow lacks repentance. 
It lacks a turning away from the sin or a forsaking of the sin. Uh, Genuine repentance will include a godly sorrow for the sin, a regret, a remorse, a brokenness. Uh, The third thing that's required for genuine repentance is a turning away from the sin, a forsaking of the sin. So there's kind of two parts to it. There is the turning back to the Lord, but there's a turning away from the sin that has to take place. Uh, What Israel was doing is, is they were willing to turn to the Lord, but they wanted to bring their sin with them. They wanted to keep their sin in their lives. That's not repentance. Godly repentance involves a turning away or a forsaking of your sin. Again, a couple verses for you. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. But we have to forsake our way, our sinful way. Um, In Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, uh, there it says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Uh, And so there's a confession, an acknowledgement, but there's also a forsaking. There's a turning away from their sin. Judah did not genuinely repent of their sins. Their repentance was insincere. And so what does God do now in chapter 4? He continues to plead with them. He continues to appeal to them to turn to him, to genuinely repent. Again, this is the Lord's heart towards the sinner. This is the Lord's heart towards the person who's backsliding. He doesn't just say, well, so long, good luck in your sin. No, he appeals and appeals and appeals and pleads with that person to come back. So look at verse 1 now in chapter 4. The Lord speaking says, If you will return, O Israel, says the Lord, return to me. And if you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved. Again, you know, God in chapter 3 said, Return you backsliding children, and I will heal your backsliding But there has to be this return, but there must be a putting away of the sin or a throwing away, your translation might say here, a throwing away of the sin, their abominations, which is speaking of their idolatry, their worship of other gods. The people of Judah were not willing to forsake their sin. They wanted a relationship with God, but they wanted to keep their idols at the same time. They wanted a relationship with God on their own terms. They wanted a relationship with God according to their own rules. And there are many people like that. They want a relationship with Jesus Christ. They want the salvation that Jesus Christ offers, but they want it on their own terms. They want to make their own rules, and they want to keep their sin. Genuine repentance requires them to put away their abominations. That's what the Lord says to them. And notice in verse 1 again, It's an if-then statement. Uh, You remember if-then statements from middle school English, right? This is an if-then statement. If Judah puts away their abominations, then she shall not be moved, or she will no longer go astray, is the idea here. Which tells us something very important that you should note. 
The reason Judah was going astray from God is because they kept their abominations around. They kept their sin. They refused to forsake it. That's why they kept going astray. Because they kept these idols in their life. And they wouldn't throw them away. And so it just kept leading them off track. Leading them away from God. And that's true. That's just a spiritual truth for everyone. If we keep our old sin in our life, we will go astray from following Christ. That's why we have to forsake our sin. The Bible says, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from his iniquity. We're to depart from it, leave it. And this is why the nation keeps going back into idolatry, because they haven't forsaken their idols. That's why they keep going astray, because they haven't removed the sin from their life. Look at verse 2. But if they do this, if you return, if they put away the abominations, then they will no longer go astray. Then they'll be able to walk with the Lord. And you shall swear the Lord lives in truth and judgment and in righteousness. If Judah genuinely repented and returned to the Lord and got rid of their abominations, then they will be able to say, the Lord lives. The Lord will be real to them, in other words. Pastor Dan will share the second half of today's message in just a moment. But first, he'd like to take a moment to tell you how you can receive prayer for your needs. Do you need prayer today? Every week we receive prayer requests from our listeners. If you need prayer for anything at all, we would like to pray for you right now. You can share your prayer request with us through our website, calvaryec.com. Again, that's calvaryec.com or through our church app or by calling us at 410-491-4592. And can I ask you to pray for us as well? Pray for the Ring of Truth Radio Ministry as we bring the Word of God to those who need it. Thanks, Pastor Dan, and thank you for praying. Now, let's finish today's message. Again, keeping ungodly behavior, keeping old sin in your life, it hinders your relationship with God. It dulls the reality of Jesus Christ. It sucks the life out of the relationship. But if you get rid of those things from your life, then you'll have this reality with Jesus Christ, this realness where you can declare the Lord lives. There's just, there's just a realness there, a reality there with the Lord. The Lord lives and he's true. His judgments are true. His judgments are right. You'll, you'll say the Lord lives in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. The nations shall bless themselves in him and in him they shall glory. You know, by their faithfulness to the Lord, if they turn back to the Lord, if they put away their abominations, their faithfulness to the Lord will bless other nations, the witnesses. Again, for us, our faithfulness to the Lord, being fully committed to Jesus Christ, it is a testimony to those around us. It's a testimony to those around us. Now he goes on here, verse 3, For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground. 
And do not sow among the thorns. God tells Judah and Jerusalem to break up their fallow ground. Fallow ground is ground that is unplowed or has never been plowed. And the idea here is the farmer would never plant seed in fallow ground. And a farmer would never expect life and fruit to be produced from seed that is planted on fallow ground or unplowed soil. The ground has to be plowed first for the seed to grow, for there to be life and fruit. And here the Lord is talking about the hearts of the people of Judah. There can be no spiritual life. There can be no spiritual fruit or spiritual harvest from hearts that are unplowed, that aren't broken, that aren't contrite, hearts that are hard. You know, Jesus told a parable in the Gospels of a sower who goes out and sow some seed, and the seed lands on different kinds of soil. If you remember that parable, some of the seed fell upon the footpath, and the birds of the air came, and they ate that seed. And the footpath and the parable, it's fallow ground. It's ground that has never been plowed before. And so it's too hard for the seed to penetrate and take root and grow. And Jesus tells us in his interpretation of that parable, he tells us, that the seed is the word of God. And the seed that falls on the footpath, the fallow ground that's never been plowed, that's hard, it doesn't penetrate. It doesn't penetrate. It doesn't produce life. This is why at the beginning of every teaching, I pray that we would have open hearts, that we would have receptive hearts, that our hearts wouldn't be fallow ground or hard to the word of God, that we would have an openness and a receptivity to the word of God. Notice in verse 3 again, the Lord says, break up your fallow ground. This is something he's telling the people of Judah to do. It's not something that the Lord does for them. This is something that we do for ourselves. We prepare our own hearts. That's why we have a time of worship before the teaching of the word. It just gives you a 15 minutes or so, 20 minutes to just prepare your heart before the Lord, to get your heart ready to receive the word of God. And he tells the people of Judah, you need to get your hearts ready to receive. You need to plow up the fallow ground of your heart. You know, in the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, Hosea says a similar thing. He has the same kind of theme. He says, Sow for yourselves righteousness and reap mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Break up your fallow ground and then seek the Lord. And, and here the Lord is saying the same thing through the prophet Jeremiah. You know, break up your fallow ground. And then he says, And do not sow among thorns. A farmer would not sow his seed among thorns because the thorns will choke out the seed. Again, Jesus in that same parable of the sower, uh, the sower as he's casting his seed, some of the seed falls among the thorns. And Jesus tells us that the plant is choked out by the thorns. And Jesus in his interpretation of that, he tells us, that the thorns are the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. 
Just a desire for things other than the Lord. You know, they may be sinful, not sinful, you know, but there's just a desire for other things other than Jesus. Or the cares of this world, the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches. You know, those things fill our hearts. They choke out the word of God so that Jesus said we become unfruitful. The hearts of the people of Judah were full of thorns. Uh, They were full of desires for other things. They desired other gods. And that's just choking out God's word. You can't serve two masters, right? And that's what Judah was trying to do. They're trying to serve two masters and it wasn't working. It doesn't work. And so we want the word to land on good soil. Uh, For Judah, they were unfruitful because their hearts were full of thorns. Verse 4 now, he gives a second illustration. He says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskin of your hearts, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Lest, here's the consequence, if you don't do it, my fury comes forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Notice, first of all, he says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Typically, someone else will do the circumcision. But here he's saying, circumcise yourself. This is something uh, you must do. And he's talking about the heart. He's talking about circumcising your heart. And the heart, it represents the self-will. The self-will. And he's talking about here cutting away, circumcising the self-will that's in your heart. You know, the stubbornness. You know, the pursuit of self. Cut it away. You know, as it says in the New Testament, Jesus said, deny yourself. Crucify your self-will. And he's talking about the circumcision of the heart. You know, the Apostle Paul uh, uses the same imagery in the book of Romans. Uh, In Romans chapter 2, if you're taking notes, Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. You know, again, talking about the circumcision of the heart, right? This cutting away of the self and the self-will. And there he's talking about, you know, the difference between outward or physical circumcision and a spiritual circumcision. In some ways, it's similar to water baptism, right? There's this physical act of water baptism. But what that physical act represents is that the old man is dead and buried with Christ And that you've been raised up to newness of life in Christ. And a person can go through the physical act of water baptism. And it doesn't really represent any real change that has happened on the inside of the person. And the person's still just living their old life. It's supposed to represent what has taken place on the inside. That on the inside, in the heart, the old man is dead and buried. My old man of sin. And I have new life in Christ, and I'm walking in this newness of life, this resurrected life now, through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
The book of Jeremiah entails many prophecies given to the people of Israel, but they weren't just commands of judgment and consequence. Within these pages, Jeremiah gives insight into the coming promises that Jesus would offer by coming and fulfilling a new covenant of redemption for all people. What's interesting is that Jeremiah poured his heart and soul out as he wrote this book. It wasn't just a dry dissertation of what people should do or what should come about. Jeremiah was a living and breathing person during the time of siege and exile, and he felt deeply for the people and nation he was a part of. His empathy for his kinsmen should resonate with you as you're part of a larger group of people in a nation and ultimately part of God's family. Is there a stirring within you to see those who are lost come to have a saving knowledge of Christ? If so, you might be able to relate to Jeremiah more than you thought. If you're enjoying this series through the book of Jeremiah and would like to hear more teachings, we encourage you to visit our website at calvaryec.com. In addition to listening to these teachings, you can access more information about the church behind this ministry, Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. As a church, our heart is geared towards spreading the gospel message to all we come in contact with. And we welcome anyone to worship with us at our location in Columbia, Maryland. For service times and location, check out calvaryec.com. Thanks for joining us today. Next time, we'll continue looking at the book of Jeremiah, here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that crack. Rings true.